NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit, credit to the people. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, y'all, welcome to the Friday after Thanksgiving. If you live here in America, happy Thanksgiving to you. Also, my daughter had a birthday this week. Actually, her birthday was on Thanksgiving Day. So how cool is that? That happens every once in a while. Um, So I hope that you're celebrating with your family. I hope you're having a great Friday. I hope that you are celebrating all the goodness and kindness and beauty that God has brought into your life. Speaking of goodness and kindness and beautiful, my guest today is Rich Velodas, who wrote a book called Good and Beautiful and Kind, Becoming Whole in a Fractured World. And these are the kind of conversations, you guys, that I get giddy over. I, I love every single person that comes on the show, and that's not an exaggeration. If I didn't love them, they wouldn't be on the show. But there are some times that a book comes across my table and a conversation happens, and I just think, yes, I want more of this in my life. And that is how I felt today about my conversation with Rich. I listened to his book on audio and devoured it and loved it, and I highly recommend it for you guys. We'll put all of the links in the show notes, and he talks about a bunch of different books. We'll also put all that in the show notes. But it's just a conversation about how do we live as Christ followers in this fractured world. The fractured world is here. It is not up for discussion whether we live in a fractured world we all feel the fractured world. And so we have a conversation today about sin and we have a conversation today about what it looks like to look for and find this goodness and beauty and kindness in the world. And I was encouraged by Rich. There's so much more goodness in the book. So check it out. One of my favorite things in the conversation today, we talk a little bit about proximity and how that changes the way that we see people or an idea or a group or somebody that we might be afraid of. And Rich takes it even a step further, which I really, really appreciate him doing that. So listen to that later in the conversation. You guys, I'm grateful that you're here. Happy Thanksgiving to those of us that live in the United States. I hope that no matter what is going on in your world today, on this Friday or whenever it is that you're listening to the show, I hope that you truly do know that you are deeply loved and cared for by God who sees you and loves you and knows you just for who you are. All right, you guys, here is my conversation with Rich Velodas. Rich, welcome to the happy hour. Jamie, so good to be with you. Thanks for the kind invitation. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, This is your first time on the happy hour and I'm familiar with your work. I'm friends with, we have mutual friends. And then I listened to you on the, on the Holy Post. I think I heard you recently. And so it's an honor for me to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you. Well, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. I, from what I think I've heard, you've been at the same church for a long time. And I just think in this day and age, that's what's celebrating. So give me a little bit. Tell me about yourself. Yeah, I'm from, I'm a native New Yorker. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Rosie, for 16 years. We have a 13-year-old daughter, Karis, and an eight-year-old son, Nathan. And uh, I've been at New Life Fellowship Church for starting my 15th year and my 10th year as the lead pastor. The church was started in 1987 by a guy named Pete Scazzaro, who wrote a number of books on emotional health and spirituality and leadership and all that 
And uh, yeah, five, about five years after stepping into that church, became the lead pastor. And it is a beautiful congregation, people from over 75 nations represented in the church in an area where 123 languages are spoken in Queens, which is, Queens is a remarkable place. 50% of Queens is foreign born. So you really get this international flavor, which means the food is amazing. And so are the people. And so, yeah, I've been uh, in this place for a number of years and wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Well, I'm a big fan of every part of New York City. And um, I have been there a lot. In fact, fun fact, my husband and I honeymooned um, in New York City, I get how long, 21 years ago. And so right. I have loved going there forever. And so I love, I love your part of the world up there. This Texas girl does. Well, <laughs> I'm super honored to have you on. And you released a book this summer called Good and Beautiful and Kind, Becoming Whole in a Fractured World. And if that doesn't sum up how most of us are feeling right now, I don't know that anything else does. And so I want to start from the very beginning, Good and Beautiful and Kind. What what does this even mean? Why did you title it that? Yeah, you know, I, I I love poetry. And one of my favorite poets is a guy named Langston Hughes, who I think many folks are familiar with. And he wrote a poem that I read a number of years ago that I just kept coming back to entitled Tired, and which is a good po- good title for these days. And he said in the poem, I'm so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. Uh, And so, number one, because I'm a lover of hip hop and because I used to be a rapper and my father was a DJ, true story, uh, I love any kind of poetry. But there was something about his words that I think speaks to the longings of our souls, that we all long for goodness and beauty and kindness. And I love his approach to actually moving in that direction. He he says basically in the poem that we're not just going to get there by accident. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to have to actually look beneath the surface. Uh, What is eating at the rind? What are the worms? And so I think it's a work of introspection. It's a work of self-examination. It's a work of, uh, uh, it's a poem that reminds us that transformation is not going to take place without us actually doing the work and participating with God in that. And so uh, that's the reason why I title it that way. And and hopefully the chapters really speak to the worms beneath the surface, as well as the longings and the way towards goodness, beauty and kindness. Well, it does that. And I told you before we started recording that I actually was listening to your book on a road trip uh, this weekend. And now I need to go back into the book and highlight all the things. But you guys, you can't see this because this is a listening platform. But I was looking through your book today, Rich, because trying to find the places that I wanted to highlight from when I was listening. And you've got this worm on the side of the pages. It's like, remember when we were kids, we made those little flip books. I loved it so much. I'm just telling you, I've never seen a book like this. And the listeners... All I can tell you is like, remember when you're in elementary school and you made the little flip book and you flip the papers and the worm moved? This is what's happening. So side note, love it, it Rich. It is the coolest Easter egg. It is the coolest Easter egg. I've had a number of people email me and say, hey, just want to let you know, there's some smudges on the page. So in the second printing or whatever, and I'm going, uh, you know, actually just flip through it and see what you get. And uh, it's it's pretty cool. I totally thought the same thing. I was like, man, that stinks that they messed this book up because there's this (laughs) little thing on the side. And then as I'm flipping through it, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's supposed to be there. Um, But good and beautiful and kind becoming whole in a fractured world. This is, I I, I have enjoyed this book so much. And so I'm really honored to talk to you about it. Mm. This is a question I kept, I kept wondering to myself as I was listening to you read this book to me over the weekend. 
You're right. And I love that that poem sums it up and like we're looking for this. And that is not a new thing in society. Like we have been looking for this since Genesis 1, you know, or Genesis 3, we should say. We've been looking for this. But here's my question for you. You talk in here about some different ways and we're going to dive into like what do you see as some of the parts that we need to examine first, like kind of go to the core. And then you talk about some habits that we can do to help us. But here's my question, Rich. Does it feel like this is harder today than it was 20 years ago, 50, neither one of us, I know you're not 50 yet, right? Neither one of us are 50 yet, like 50 years ago, 70 years ago. Is it harder now to find this? Or is it just that we're in the midst of it, so it feels harder? I, I think the comp, the, what, what complicates uh, the fractures and exacerbates the fractures is in many ways, I think the access that we have to each other's thoughts and opinions in ways that we didn't have it before. Mm. And so in short, I, I, I wonder if social media has exacerbated the, the fractures in our world like nothing else and accelerated yeah. the fractures like uh, no one else. Because there was a point in time, I think about it, where we didn't really know what we thought on everything. Right. And because the world has become so much smaller as a result of social media, in many ways, we are much more connected than we ever have been. At the same time, we are much more aware of what we think and believe and our positions on various things, which just inevitably will bring up more conflict, more yeah. friction, more fractures. And so, yes, I, I do believe the presence of social media has in many ways brought about many more complexities and challenges mm. to our fractures in ways that we didn't have before. And, and so I'm not sure if that's the singular reason yeah. why, but I do think that that has led to a domino effect. Mm of our inability to be present, of our uh, of our penchant for reactivity yeah. and uh, and hot takes in ways that actually don't create community and communion, but just have us live in the land of position and where we fall on particular things. Mm -hmm. And it's just a medium that depersonalizes, which is why when I talk about powers and principalities, social media is one of the powers, I think, in the world. Wow that depersonalizes people where you don't see human beings, you see avatars and positions. But I, I do think it's much more challenging today. I'm 43 years old. So, uh, but historically, when I look at it 50 years ago, I, I think we have much more challenges in that respect today. Hey, y'all, Jamie, I'm here. I want to tell you about a time I went to Haiti. I remember the first time I met Wansley. I was in Haiti with my son and my husband, and we were at his local church. Wansley held our hands and he showed us around. It was a stark difference from the children that I had seen as we traveled to Wansley's church. It was loud. It was colorful. It was so incredible right in the middle of this church in Haiti. Compassion International is working to release children from poverty in Jesus' name through its one-on-one -on -one child sponsorships. Just like my family sponsored Wansley in Haiti, you too can sponsor a child through Compassion. Your $38 a month will provide food, clean water, education, medical and dental checkups, and above all else, the ability to learn about Jesus and flourish through the local church. You're going to get letters from your child and they will keep you updated on their life and their development. Your sponsorship ensures that this child will have hope, hope that poverty will end with him or her. But your Compassion Sponsorship doesn't just provide the needs of the child. Compassion cares for the whole family. It's one of my favorite things that they do. Your sponsorship will change one child, one family, and one community. I also love that Compassion works within the local church in the community. They are partnering with leaders already in that community. 
There are more than 100,000 children awaiting sponsorship, children who are desperate for hope. To partner with Compassion in bringing hope to a child today, simply text Ivy Media, all one word, Ivy Media, I V E Y M E D I A, to 83393. That's 83393. Or go to compassion.com slash Ivy Media. The link is also in the show notes wherever you're listening. That's compassion.com slash Ivy Media. Will you join us today in helping the 100,000 children that are waiting sponsorship to find a sponsor today? If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music. Just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. You know, it got me thinking... um, 
I drove a lot this weekend. So I was able to, I was listening to three or four different books and I'm listening to Katie Couric's book that she wrote. And she talked Mm. about if she could go back and report on the Rodney King trial again, she would do it differently. And then she talked about the OJ Simpson trial. And even as you're talking about how social media kind of like brings everything to the surface that we wouldn't have necessarily thought about. I remember in, I guess I was in high school when the OJ Simpson trial was going on. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's one of the first things I can pinpoint and think. And I would, I, this is randomly came to me like this isn't even anything with your book, but I'm thinking about social media. It's one of the first things I can remember thinking I'm seeing something happening in real time and I need to have an opinion on it. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm like a junior in high school <laughs> and that's now every day for us, you know? And so we talk about that fractured world that you talk about. I think you're, you're right on is that like it is so the, the fractures are just we see them like in real time all the time. And mm-hmm. th- it's exhausting. It feels exhausting. Does it feel exhausting to you? It, it is very exhausting. And I think uh, to riff on social media for a second, I think the challenge with social media is it gives us promises uh, or rather feeds us lies that we can actually possess divine qualities that only belong to God. And oh, so, tell for example, me more. yeah, uh, social media gives us the lie that we can be omnipresent, oh. omniscient and um, and omnipotent. And so omniscience is, I can know everything. It feeds me this lie that I can know everything uh, there is to know because uh, data is at the the tips of my finger, the the knowledge of the world. Uh, Omnipresence in that, it feeds me the lie that I can be everywhere at all times. And so I can be in so many different spaces, access to what's going on in Ukraine, what's going on on the West Coast of the United States, what's happening in in, in random places around the world. Uh, and then lastly, omnipotence, where I can use my words for the sake of power. Uh, and so it feeds us this idea that I could, I could possess these divine attributes. And I think in the process, it absolutely crushes us yeah. because only God can bear these attributes, but social media feeds us this lie that we can. So I, I think that, again, complicates our fractures yeah. in some uh, significant ways. Wow. I've never heard it described like that, Rich. And it is like, as you're saying, I'm like, yeah, this is the way that it makes us feel that we have this like control and this ability to be like a God, to be like God. And it's just, yeah. I'm going to sit with that and think about that for a long time. So thank you for that. Um you're a pastor. You said you've been there for 16 years, I think you said. And, you know, our world is very fractured. That is nothing new to anyone that's listening to think that our world is fractured. And I think a lot of the fractures have become more evident in the last maybe three or four years, five years, than maybe they had before for a list of reasons, social media being one, a lot of reasons that we could say that. But as you're a pastor in your church and you have this beautiful, you know, multi-ethnic uh, church that you're pastoring. What are the most evident fractures that you're seeing within your people that they're having to deal with uh, right now? Uh, a few things. I, I can I can list at least um, four things <laughs> in my in my community, which is a beautiful community. Which on the surface, when people see and they visit our church and they go, "Wow, this is like what heaven's going to look like," uh-huh. and I go, "Yeah, <laughs> I, I think so." Uh, but I'm not sure if we're experiencing heaven right now, because when you get that many different people in close proximity, it's going to lead to lots of complexity, mm-hmm. lots of challenges. And so I've called the world that we've lived in the last two years, and I think we still are living in this. I've said we, we're living in a CPR world, uh, a world that's marked by uh, our hearts are ailing. It's a heart. We have a hard time breathing. Mm-hmm. And that CPR acronym for me is about covid uh, political idolatry, racial hostility. And I think the convergence of those three things 
in our society has really brought on so many fractures. And our congregation in Queens is no different. Mm. We've experienced the levels of polarization because of the public health crisis. We've experienced the polarization because of politics. Our church, I'd say 30% of our church voted for Trump, 30% of our church voted for Biden, uh, probably 15% voted for Spider-Man because he's from Queens, <laughs> and another 10% probably abstained or were undocumented and yeah. cannot, and cannot vote. vote. Uh, and then we have the racial dynamics where our church is incredibly diverse, but that doesn't mean everyone's on the same page as it relates to how we navigate the racial terrain. And so lots of folks are there at our church because they don't think race is a thing. They, I don't see color uh, and I'm a part of a very diverse congregation. And so leave me alone. I'm doing great here. And others see the structural institutional realities that we have to wrestle with. Uh, and so not everyone sees the same uh, on the same page there. And then when you add one more layer to this generationally, there's just lots of uh, fractures as it relates to sexuality. Yeah. And so when you think about COVID, think about politics, think about race, think about sexuality, our church is no different. As a matter of fact, I think it might be more challenging because of how many different people are here, which means as a pastor, uh, or I mean, I need to enter at my own risk. I should have a sign in front of my office at the church or something like that. This is enter at your yeah. own risk to work. Uh, but I'm, I'm so glad I'm here, but those are some of the fractures yeah. that we're facing in our community. I think that your no, your community is no different than my community and probably the most communities that people are listening. Those are, although they may look more nuanced and different wherever you live in parts of the world or different denominations, those are the fractures that a lot of us are experiencing right now. And one thing I love about your book is like we're all searching for this good, beautiful, and kind, mm. but yet we're also looking straight into the face of fractures. And so it just kind of freaks people out and they're like, I want goodness and I am goodness. So I'm going to seek my way because my way is goodness. And you totally have this whole other flip of like, man, if we actually approach these fractures, like you've listed, and we'll talk about these three, these four in particular that you said, if we actually approach these from like the way of Jesus, it changes everything. And I think that's something that we're missing. Now, you start this book with sin, which I'm listening. I'm driving from West Texas home to Austin. And I'm like, wow, Rich, you're coming in strong here at the beginning. So why did you start this with sin? Uh, naivete. Uh, <laughs> I think it was perfect. Really, I mean, you know, it's great. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, you know, in, in some way I'm thinking, I'm not sure if this is the best thing to do to start with sin. But the reason why I started with sin was because I wanted to reframe mm -hmm. this ancient category uh, in a way that I think would lend towards goodness and beauty and kindness. And so the way that I approach it is I essentially asked the question. I remember one day I was reading the words of Jesus where he said that the greatest command is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And as I was just sitting with that in the context of thinking about sin, the, th the thought came to me that if the greatest commandment is love, love God, love for neighbor as I, as myself, then the, then the greatest sin or the essence of sin must be failure to love. It must be the, the rejection of that command. Mm. And as I just sat with that, I thought, uh, I think this is what, as, what, what sin is. Sin is usually seen as like moral transgression. Right. It's seen the stuff that I do in private. There's a law that I violated. And, uh, and so what, what I've discovered is there are lots of people who can claim to have victory over sin because they're not getting into the habits that they used to or not violating particular moral codes. But then I realized 
but if the essence of following Jesus is love and we're not doing it well, we could really live in great illusion mm. by thinking because I've kept all the commands, I'm in a pretty good place. It sounds so, familiar from the things that Jesus would say. <laughs> it sounds very familiar, which is why as I started reading, going through the Bible, I started saying, I, I think I have a good thread here yeah. that comes up repeatedly, that sin is failure to love. Mm. And so the way that I measure my life spiritually needs to change. At going from, not from, am I abstaining these particular things, but am I giving myself to love, so good. love for God and love for neighbor. So that's why I started because I wanted to offer a reframing of how sin is typically thought of. It's so good. And you, I think you said in the book, you were listing out some things and you're saying, even, you know, in your early following Jesus, you're just like, well, if I'm just not like looking at pornography, then I must be like, that's my standard. And you yeah. even said like, what a low standard. And I think a lot of people that would shock them and go like, no, 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 this is the highest standard, right? It's like, <laughs> you're being holy. Um, yeah. And it really is this shift of like, okay, am I just checking off the list? Like Jesus says, the Pharisees are checking things off left and right. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have love, then what do you have? Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the essence of it. And most lots of folks can, you know, th so the way that leads me down a whole road, like how do we think rethink holiness? Mm -hmm. That holiness is often about what I abstain from right. as opposed to what I give myself to. So good. And these reframings of righteousness, holiness, some of these ancient words mm. are necessary if we're going to live whole lives you know, in the moment that we find ourselves in. And I think, you know, when you list out that CPR and sexuality, COVID and political and racial and sexuality, we're talking about these, you know, fractures that we're seeing within our communities and our churches and our country. And like thinking like as Christ followers, if we're just going to like say we're going to like show up on Sundays and we're and we're not watching porn and we're and we're watching we're you're thinking about like doing like picking up our neighbor's mail or just trying to like check all these things off. But yet we wonder why we're not being able to get along, you know, and we wonder why we're not being able to have conversations with someone who thinks differently than us. And I think it's because we have a very shallow view of what yeah. it looks like to follow Jesus. And I, yeah. I don't know that that shallow view is going to help us walk through these these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the shallow view is usually usually marked by two things. It's kind of religious behaviorism, mm -hmm. number one, and number two, intellectual assent to particular doctrines. Right. And if we get those two things down. We think, man, we are really soaring as followers of Jesus, failing to see that, again, back to mm. the religious leaders in the Gospels, as well as um, Satan, who knows all the scriptures in the world. Uh, and, I mean, he's not a good guy, you know what I mean? So, I, I mean, so we can have all the theological doctrines in our head mm -hmm. and actually live a life of re religious behaviorism in a good way and still really miss the mark because our lives are not oriented by yeah. love super convicting for me i mean just like super like jamie are you just going through the motions like you know all these things We've been following <laughs> jesus for a long time you got a christian podcast you talk to these christian leaders all the time and <laughs> it really was a moment for me to just think like man what what is these what are the indicators here okay now i want to ask you a question and i'm going to mess it up because i didn't write it down and but i remember in the very beginning since we're talking about sin and we don't have to camp out here the whole time but i just <laughs> i was very intrigued by something that you said um when i was listening to your book it was along the lines of like we need sin to show us god's love can yeah. you expand on that please yeah you know that idea came from the great uh, barbara brown taylor who's a great preacher and she wrote a wonderful book 
on sin. And I heard her basically say that sin is our only hope. Yeah, that and was when it. I and that, I, I, thought, I literally was like, wait, I need to stop for a second. What did she just say? <laughs> and what she's doing, which I think is actually biblically faithful, just saying it in a very subversive uh, manner, is that until we recognize the depth of our estrangement, mm. our estrangement between God, our estrangement between ourselves, the estrangement we have with our bodies, which is really what sin does. Sin separates us on at least four levels. It separates us between God, be- creation, one another, and our bodies. Mm. And uh, and creation can be you know co- you know connected to our bodies, but I just make that distinction in four ways. So in that respect. If sin points to our estrangement, it is actually the check engine light of the soul that reminds us we need rescue, mm. we need healing, we need grace, we need mercy, we need compassion. And so the hope is that as we familiarize ourselves with sin, that sin is not just something that we do, but a power humanity is under. Mm. As we familiarize ourselves with this power, the, the hope is that it'll drive us to God mm. and move us to God where we can find true rescue and healing and salvation. That's so good. And you know, the, like, the longer I follow Jesus, I'm like more aware of the more center that I am, which is just <laughs> so crazy, that awareness driving you towards Jesus. Okay, so we talk about good and beautiful and kind are stolen by these three things, sin, powers and principalities, and trauma. And yeah. powers and principalities, a lot of us who grew up in the 90s, we're gonna just start, totally start thinking about like Frank Peretti and what these powers and principalities and you mentioned one earlier and so i would love for you to expand on that and also also my question to you is like as followers of jesus what are some of the strategies of the enemy that we should be kind of aware of in our daily life as we're trying to chase good and beautiful and kind realizing we live in this fractured world we've got these things that are against us what are some things that as believers we need to be aware of yeah, this and, present and darkness. Way, I'm so sorry. Right. I was I was just gonna say it. I was just gonna say it. The Holy Spirit is moving yeah. here. Uh, yeah, you know, with regard to powers and principalities, I, I became a Christian in a in a Pentecostal setting, and so there was lots of language around demons, especially when the the AV system turned off. Right. Uh, and so, uh, so lots of fluency as it related to evil powers. Uh, I think the the challenge, however, that what I'm trying to uh, tease out in the book is what does it look like when these evil powers um, get connected to larger ideologies and institutions? And uh, as in, in other words, powers and principalities tend to be so disembodied. And the emphasis on, oh, this person has like a spiritual problem, demons in them. Let's try to figure out a way to get them whole and free, which at New Life, actually, we uh, we make space for that. But the larger question was, if we are living in a world that's marked by darkness and powers and principalities, then certainly these evil forces will find themselves connected. And so mm. the way that I define it is that powers and principalities are these, these evil forces that get connected to individuals, ideologies, and institutions with a threefold goal. And the threefold goal is deception, division, and depersonalization. And as I think about the world that we live in that's marked by deception, uh, again, back to social media, back to the ways that, you know, the the world is often marked by lots of deception and lying. Uh, division, depersonalization. And by depersonalization, what I mean by that is we refuse to see human beings that we now see either 
uh, uh, mirages. We see clumps of people. We don't see the nuances of their lives. We see we see voting blocks. We see uh, people who take particular positions, and we reduce them to the belief that we most disagree with. Mm -hmm. And that's how we see people as opposed to these are mothers, these are fathers, these are sons, these are daughters, these are human beings trying to work their way through life. And it is actually sin to depersonalize mm. someone in that way. And so the powers, I, I use the language of powers and principalities because I want it to uh, nuance the level of darkness that we're up against. Uh, and that uh, that when Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, uh, I think it's so easy in our day to really point the finger at specific people or individuals that we think this is what's wrong with the world. Mm. And I think people need to be held accountable. I think boundaries need to be created. I think truth needs to be spoken. And at the same time, I think we need to recognize that there are larger forces at work in our world that must be contended with. And I think that's the part that often goes missing in our mission and our commitment to protecting the church and defending Jesus and, and all the rest. We miss out there's some larger stuff happening that we are, that our eyes cannot see. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. You know, you started that chapter with a story that was very profound. Um, mm. as, a, as I mentioned, I was listening to the book. So as I'm listening to you read this, I mean, I was just really, really struck by the story. And, and um, you talk about... I think I should let you tell it, but it it sums up your point so well of like, how does this happen to us? And, and after you tell the story, it made me also think about like, when we look at our current culture of like, what happened at the Capitol, you know, in January 6th, and, you, and so many people are going, wait, I would have never imagined that that person would have been there. And you talk about how there's ideology has taken over their entire world. Can you tell us a little bit, st tell that story for us, because it sums up perfectly what you're talking about. Yeah, I begin with a somewhat fictional, but a very, I think, real story mm -hmm. that history tells us that about a, what I call kind of like a, a dutiful church going apple pie making mom from Texas. I mean, I could picture her and I live in Texas. So I was like, <laughs> I know this woman. I know her very well. <laughs> and the idea is that, you know, uh, she's known for sweet Southern hospitality. She leads Bible study. She gathers people in her home for prayer. She is the kindest woman in the neighborhood. She loves Jesus. She loves the scripture. She loves the Bible. And I, I'll go down that road to just kind of set the scene that one day she and her friends are about to go on this kind of family trip. And the neighborhood's going to be there. Other friends are going to be there. The church is going to be there. And the family trip was to actually witness a lynching that was going to take place. And uh, what I reflected on was, how is it possible, and history shows this to be true, that Christians, I mean, there's some images of, of people taking pictures and po you know, sending postcards with them smiling 
in the foreground with a lynched body in the background. And the question I was asking is, how in the world can someone who loves Jesus, loves the Bible, who goes to church, who, I mean, is just really sweet and kind, how can they be caught up in such an ideology mm-hmm. that would see Black people as inferior, mm-hmm. and not just inferior, but worthy of this kind of barbaric death? Yeah. And my only conclusion was that there must be something at work in the culture and the landscape of this context that has so deceived this person into believing that this person is worthy of this kind of uh, yeah. humiliation, cruelty, and 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 death. Mm. And for me, my biblically, my only conclusion is yes, there's sin at work, but there's also some larger powers mm. and principalities that are happening in the world. Which how do good people, kind and nice people, find themselves going down a road of barbarism? Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And I, I think powers and principalities is one of the reasons why this is so which you did say like people are still held accountable for this this isn't like a like oh the, the, you know there's there's more at work here you can't be mad at this sweet little one from texas but i'll tell you rich as i was listening to that and you know the story you don't know where the story's going as you're reading and listening and then it gets there and it really stopped me in my tracks and i thought the same thing i thought how was it possible that so many church going claiming jesus loving people were a part of this great atrocity that our country went through. And then I started thinking, how is it that we're still doing that? You know, I I live in Texas and I think about the people at the border and and the conflict over that. And how do we have, we love Jesus and we think we should serve people for what he is. And yet we look at people and don't see them as people. We think of them as like a problem and a thing. And this isn't a conversation about what should be happening, but it also, Rich, made me go, where is it in my life? Mm-hmm. that I'm doing this because I I don't want to be the person that's like, I could never do this. I would never be that woman from Texas baking an apple pie, going to a lynching. And while that may be true, what do you think for the people who are listening who are like you and me? We love Jesus. We we no. don't ever want to be the person who turns a blind eye to a person. How do we watch out for those blind spots? Like what's what's going to hit us in our face that we may not even see coming? I, I, here's, I think it comes down to at least one thing, I, I, I think I can tease this out a little bit, but I think it, requ- it requires us to um, to prayerfully interrogate our fears. Mm. And wh- what I mean by that is much of the, that, that apple pie making mom from Texas, Capitol, all the other stuff that happened, you know, how people see Republicans, how people see Democrats, how people see immigrants, how people see gay people. Mm-hmm. Much of that is rooted in, some unchecked fear mm. that um, if if not interrogated appropriately is going to now lead to reactivity, emotionality, anxiety. And, yeah. and anxiety is very simply this automatic response to a real or perceived threat. Much of our lives is just governed by anxiety. Mm. And until we take the time to actually interrogate and examine our anxiety, where is this coming from? Is this yeah. even true? Why am I feeling this way? Who's told me this? Yeah. Uh, unless we're asking ourselves these questions, we're going to live purely out of reactivity, not giving thought to our ways. The lizard brain part of our nervous system is going to now dominate and we'll find ourselves participating in things that, um, you know, Christ followers should not be right. engaged in. 
The other aspect of it, so I think there's the fear piece, and then there's also, you know, Reinhold Niebuhr, he wrote a book called Moral Man and Immoral Society in the, in the 20th century. And he's this theologian who basically makes a simple premise about basically sin, that when we're by ourselves, relatively speaking, we're okay. I mean, we're going to make, we're, we're not perfect, but we're going to make some good decisions. But when we get in groups, mm. There's something about the group dynamic, whether middle school playground, right. board meetings, whatever, you know, or whether, uh, you know, sports, we find ourselves doing things that we would never do alone. Mm. And so I think beyond just interrogating our fears, you know, I think we have to also take the time to critically examine the communities that we are a part of, the people we're a part of, are the groups that I'm a part of, especially as a Christian, uh, moving me more towards Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, the teachings of the, on the Sermon on the Mount, or are they moving me towards, uh, uh, you know, the, the fear? Are they moving me towards dehumanization, division, depersonalization, all the rest? And so I, I think those two, you know, what are the fears and what are the communities that I'm a part of uh, that help me to live in greater reality so I don't fall subject to the stuff that I'm writing about in that chapter with powers and principalities. Mm, you know, it's this, I heard something recently talking about, you know, we're in a political season, we've got the midterms coming up, and then we're going to be going through the whole election thing again. And all, the thing we do every four years, every two years no. here. And someone was talking about, it was an article I read about, it's easy to be a Christian politician, but are they saying the things that follow Jesus? And mm. so is it just look like it's like a Christian version or is it from Jesus? And I think that like, I have to think about that in my own life as well when I think about this. Mm. And one thing that we talk about a lot at the happy hours, how um, proximity changes a lot of those things. And you talk about fear. And when I look at my own life, whether from how I was brought up, what was taught to me, what was, you know, subconsciously told to me where I lived, all the things that influence us as we grow up and become human, I mean, become adults yeah. and make our own decisions. We're influenced all the time by uh, lots of things. But the things that have changed what I had thought before have all happened through proximity. And so mm -hmm. that fear of whatever it might be, of whether it be a political party, a sexual orientation, an ethnic group, whatever it might be, getting close to that person you can't help but change your fears. And I just yeah. think that is so important for people to realize is if you're so afraid of fill in the blank, get to know fill in the blank. I mean, would you say that? I, I would say abs absolutely. And the only thing I would add to that, and this is me being in a community where 75 nations are represented, very diverse, is it is possible to have proximity without evaluating my perception. Mm. And I think this is, it's very easy for folks to just think I've done the work because I am in kind of this aesthetic proximity to someone else. Mm -hmm. What I also invite people to do is, can you examine the ways that you've been shaped by your families of origin, which I believe is really the, that's the primary place where our formation yeah. emerges from mom, dad, siblings, cousins, uncles, that family unit mm -hmm. is really the place that has formed me more than any other place, which means that's kind of the scene of the crime in so many ways. We receive positive legacies and negative legacies. So I think it is that proximity while concurrently examining what are the, what are the messages that I've had about black people? Yeah. What are the messages I've had about gay people? What are the messages, the stories that I've been told about immigrants? And unless I can now bring that to consciousness yep. and to the you know that's when i can begin to say now how is this inconsistent with the way of jesus 
how is this going to now lead me more towards the fruit of the spirit? Mm-hmm. And so um, I think I think that proximity is the most is, is critically important and should set the stage for greater examination of my perception. Yeah, because the thing is, those things that have formed us, if we don't acknowledge them and if we don't bring them to the table per se, they will show back up. Yes. And then all of a sudden you're left going, but wait, I've done the work. Why am I thinking, feeling, saying this? And it's because, oh, it's always been there, you know, and I haven't ever brought it to the table. I've experienced that firsthand of going like, wait, 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 wait. No, I don't know. This is not me. I don't think this, feel this, say this. Why why am I doing one of those things? Mm. And it was, oh, I haven't done all the work that I need to do about what I'm bringing yeah. to this to which this. which is why i think confession mm-hmm. is and repentance is like the most important aspects of christian witness today mm. in a in a pluralistic society where the church is losing more and more credibility if we were to just orient our lives around confession and repentance that it is a journey that never ends that there's always something else a blind spot that i have an area that i've been formed by that i still need to reject um, I think if the church had lots of confession and repentance, I think the world will look on mm-hmm. and say, you know what, that's a group that's worthy of me following. Yeah. But until we do that, um, we're going to be in some trouble. Yeah, I think there's this idea of like, oh, no, we're supposed to show the world we have it all together versus <laughs> like showing the world that it's a continual journey of confession and repenting. Okay, so we've talked about and and there's so much more here because you also talk about trauma and I, I love that so much. But you also go into like, okay, so how do we get back this stuff? And and I, I just want to talk about really just two of them. Really, you talk about contemplative prayer, humility, and cultivating calm pres- presence. And full disclosure: I haven't finished your book though, so I have not gotten to the last. <laughs> so just full disclosure. Yeah. Um, but contemplative prayer. You say that this is this has changed you, and so I want you to tell me two things. Number one, some listeners may be going. What does that mean? I know what prayer is, but what does this mean? And then two, how has it changed you? Yeah. So my definition of contemplative prayer here is maybe a simple way of thinking of it. It is loving attentiveness to God's presence without the need for words. Mm. And when I when I frame it that in that way, it just makes me smile. Like, is what it does. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like oh yeah, like I, I do that mm-hmm. with my children. Mm-hmm. I, I do that with a trusted friend. I do that with. Uh, my spouse, yeah. uh, it's just this loving attentiveness uh, to God's presence without the need for words. And uh, it, it changed my life because so much of my prayer life for many years were marked by transactionalism. I say certain things in a certain way, and I do my part in prayer. God does God's part in prayer. And I think what I reduce God to is this, again, this cosmic vending machine mm-hmm. uh, that I just want to get stuff from God. And I began to shift by seeing contemplative prayer as the, the goal of my life and the goal of prayer is communion. It's the practicing of presence. It's being present to presence, being with being. It's friendship with Jesus. It's it's uh, life with the Holy Spirit. It's be, being a child of the Father. I, I think th- that's what the essence of communion is. And the reason it's changed my life, you know, Andrew Newberg wrote a book called How God Changes Our Brains. And he did, re- a, a, you know, neurologists who did research on <clears throat> the work of meditation and contemplation and how it rewires our brains and gives our bodies the capacity to tolerate greater anxiety. I mean, the stuff that scientists are now discovering is really foundational to theology. Mm. 
that to be with God actually reorients our entire lives. And this has reoriented me in in a couple of ways. Number one, I think it's helped me to uh, tolerate the present moment uh, without uh, judgment, Mm. to tolerate the present moment without the need to wanting to escape it. Uh, And number two, I think it's helped me more and more, and this is a lifelong work, to be present with others. Um, That's the goal of contemplative prayer, to be present with God so that we can be present with others. And uh, I think I still have lots of growing to do in this area, but I know my attentiveness to the world around me and to people has mm-hmm. grown simply because I spend time with God in this kind of prayer. I think something happens in my soul that couldn't happen any other way. Mm, so beautiful. I just, I literally just want to smile when I think about it. And I thank you for telling us. Now, you listed contemplative prayer, humility, and then cultivating calm presence. And listen, everyone right now is like, okay, awesome, Rich. We're going to cultivate a calm presence. I'm, I'm sorry. It's 2022. I've got a job and all these kids and the world is falling apart yeah. and, and we live in a fractured world. What do you mean by that? Yeah, calm presence is not stoicism. It's not being unaffected by the very real challenges of the day. Uh, I be I have a 13-year-old and an 8-year-old. Uh I'll tell you right now, I don't walk around here like like a Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, unaffected by anything. Yeah. No, what a calm presence is is <clears throat> it's a commitment to number 1, not having my life marked by reactivity and emotionality. Mm-hmm. And again, that's that anxiety word coming up. That anxiety is about it's a it's a automatic reaction to real or perceived threat, and that automatic reaction can come up in <clears throat> anger, control, manipulation, rage, uh, hiding, avoiding across the board. That's our automatic response right. to something. C- calm presence is here's my way of thinking of it. <clears throat> it's remaining close and curious to God, close and curious to myself. And close and curious to my neighbor, Mm. especially in times of high anxiety and resisting the polar opposite pull of cutting people off or being enmeshed into them. Mm. That's calm presence. And depending on who you're in relationship with, we all have a tendency to either cut people off or disappear into them, Mm. losing our voice, not being able to name our values, our preferences, our opinions. We just disappear or we cut off. Calm presence is the capacity to remain close to myself, close to God and close to others. And in order to get in that and, and, you know, to live in that space requires a number of things, but ultimately that's the goal of calm presence, not to live as a Zen master Mm -hmm. unaffected by any problems, but really it's, Close and being close and, and curious yeah. to those around me. I think close myself. and curious is something that changing that those couple that curiosity in our life towards people and God can result in mm. so many massive changes in our lives. I'm experiencing that right now in relationships and with the Lord, and it's just it's been a beautiful thing in my life. Mm. Rich, I'm a new fan of you. I can join the fan club. Um, good and beautiful and kind, becoming whole in a fractured world. Uh, I highly recommend this book. Um, I, I enjoyed it so much as I was listening, and I can't wait to go back and highlight and finish it. Uh, I can tell that you are a very well-read person, so I would love to know, what are you reading these days? Jamie wants to know. Jamie wants to know. We want to know what you're reading. Uh, I'm reading... Uh, three things right now, and hopefully I'll finish them. Uh, number one, this is old classic by Dostoevsky, Crime and Punishment. 
And so uh, I'm getting tripped up by all the Russian words that sound the same. <laughs> so um, I'm about a third of the way through and it's, it's been a rough, but, I'm, but I think I need that in my life. Number okay. two, a book by called Uproar by again, Peter Steinke, who's uh, was a specialist in family systems theory. Okay. And then uh, the collected writings of um, Abraham Heschel, who was a Jewish theologian who spent a lot of time writing about wonder mm. and Sabbath. And so just reading his, I've been a fan of his for a number of years. And those are the three books that are on my night table. I love uh, it so much. I can tell that you're well read because all the authors you've mentioned, I've only like ever heard of like one of them. I'm like, oh, who is this that Rich is reading? And I'm so intrigued. I want to go read them all. So um, Rich, thanks so much. I'm really just excited for the work that you put into the world and grateful that I was able to chat with you today and talk about it. And everyone go pick up this book, Good and Beautiful and Kind, Becoming Whole in a Fractured World and just grateful for what you're doing. Thanks so much, Jamie. So I appreciate your words and the kind invitation. Thank you so much for listening to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to give you, and every opportunity we get to point all of us to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is the number one way that people find out about our show. It's because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that will make us think, they'll make us laugh, and they'll always point us back to Jesus. And come find me other places on the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm over there at Jamie Ivy. And if you've never visited my YouTube page, you're going to want to go there. Have you ever listened to a show and wondered, I wonder what they look like? Well, go find us over there. It's jamieivy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy is a production of Ivy Media Podcasts. Executive produced by Jamie Ivy, produced by Lindsay Sweeney, edited by Angie Elkins, show notes by Ashley Miner, art by Jen Jet Barrett, original music by Matt Graham, and I'm your host, Jamie. Have a happy hour with a friend.